Hey, good morning, church. Good morning. morning. Awesome to have you here on this Labor Day weekend. Really glad to have you. Now, my name has been mentioned before as Andrew Frost, and I serve on staff as our family minister here. And I just want to ask a question. How many of you love weddings, right? You just love weddings, whether you're going there to eat the cake or to see just a loving relationship come together. Whatever it is, I love weddings. Um, And I had an incredible opportunity last week to be able to marry two friends of mine uh, here in New Hampshire. And it was really great, and it was a beautiful ceremony. And there was um, some adjustments they had to make, right? Because we're in a year with a pandemic. And so it was hard. They had to, um, we we still met together in a church, uh, the, the few of us who could make it, but all of those who they invited couldn't um, come, like a vast majority of people who they invited could not make it. And even those who could, um, they had to limit their capacity, right, for just being in the space together. Um, But they were able to make some adjustments that were really great for those who couldn't come. So they had a Facebook Live webcam thing where they got the stream for those who were invited who couldn't come to be able to watch the ceremony, which was great. Um, But maybe you relate to this. We've all kind of had to make adjustments this year, whether it is through a wedding or through a graduation maybe you had back in June, or even uh, with having friends over or a banquet, something where we could do together like this, worshiping together online right now or in person. But the thing about weddings that I really appreciate is the invite, right? Have you ever gotten an invite to a wedding and you just feel so thought of, you feel so included, um, and that you were really asked to be a part of such a special occasion. We love being invited to things. But what can be hard to swallow is being turned down, right? Or someone turning down the invite on you. Um, Have you ever had that happen? The feeling of missing out on something like that? I know I have. Um, I've had friends invited uh, to come over and hang out and some couldn't make it. And I get it, being turned down can be hard. Um, maybe you have had an experience where you were invited uh, to be a part of a wedding uh, where you invited someone else and all of a sudden you couldn't make it last minute and you had to turn it down on them. So let me ask you this question. What invitation have you turned down or someone has turned down on you? I want you to think about that for a moment and think about and remember the feeling you had when either having to turn them down or them turning down the invite on you. And I want you to live in that tension for a moment um, because when we invite people, um, we expect or hope for them to make it. And that feeling of missing out is a shared experience that we struggle through and we're gonna be talking about through the message this morning. And so what really grinds my gears, though, are the illegitimate excuses, right? The excuses, right, the, that come and that are lame, the, the, the kind that kind of grind your gears you're really upset about. One time in middle school, I don't remember the friend who asked me this, but I'll never forget the excuse because it was so, ugh, it was, I, yeah. It was, my pet died, and the pet hadn't died yet. At, like at all. And they were waiting on death's door for their pet, I think like a week or two later. But I'm like, you could have made it. You could have, we, we could have gone for a run or we could have uh, played video games. I don't know, something, something that middle schoolers do, right? And so I was really put off by that. I'm like, dude, that is, I don't know if you're lying, but that was a lame excuse to me. It felt that way. Maybe to him it didn't. I lost a pet and had to put them down. So I totally get it. It, it really hurts when that time comes. But the true value of the invitation, right? is the intentionality for relationship and building that. 
My wife and I, we love sharing meals with others together. And whether it's inviting them to come over and have a meal with us or us being invited to go um, and get to know somebody. Um, so it's always more than just the food, right? It's wanting to build the relationship. But it takes initiative, right? Uh, sometimes, especially in a year like this, it can be even harder to wait on finding things to do because people are hesitant to be able to, to get together, and I get that. But even without a year with Rona, we're sometimes caught in that tension of like, man, should I invite them or should I wait to be invited? I've done all the inviting. I'm tired of inviting people. Maybe they should invite me once, you know? There's this sense of needing to have the initiative taken in order to have us come together. Um, and it's okay if it's on you all the time. I tell that to my wife all the time, uh, It's just something that we struggle with. But um, if you wanna connect with somebody, especially in a time like this, find a way to make it work with each other. Don't wait, extend the invitation because it means a lot to them. And Jesus got to do this a lot with people. Um, he shared meals with so many different people. Even in just the book of Luke, we see on at least eight occasions, Jesus is sitting down with people, whether it's Pharisees, sinners, tax collectors, um, Sadducees, just all manner of people, his family, his disciples. Jesus is constantly um, having meals with people. But here's the thing, so do we. Um, whether you're at work and you go get, have a lunch break with your coworkers, or maybe you're out getting coffee and there's people all around you, or just having friends and guests over at your home. We're surrounded by people all the time in our meals. But here's a cool fact. Most of us eat three meals a day. Most, not all. I'm actually in that latter camp. Um, but over the span of a year, that is 1,095 meals in one year. That's a ton of moments and opportunities where we get to take and share a meal together most of the time, it's with other people around us. And so Jesus took advantage of this a lot and made it um, a priority to take advantage of these mealtimes to share the gospel with them. And so as we look into the Gospel of Luke, I want to invite you to take this moment, if you're online or here in-house, to get a Bible, um, whether it's physical or digital or an app or on a website, to pull that up. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 24. Now, as you're peering through there, trying to pull that up. I'm just going to kind of summarize the beginning of this text, which is verses one through eight. On the Sabbath, Jesus went to eat at a house of a prominent Pharisee. Not sure if Jesus was invited there or if he invited himself there. Either way, he was there. And in the room, he saw a man suffering from abdominal pain. And hey, it's the Sabbath. I mean, I get it. You know, Pharisees consider this an off-duty day to help somebody sometimes. And so Jesus challenged them. He's like, can I not also heal this person on this day? And they remained silent. And so he did. And he healed this guy. Now, soon after Jesus noticed as guests were, you know, mingling and gathering around, it was about time to enjoy the meal. And they would sit at the table in seats of their choice, uh, or even the host choice for them called seats of honor. And when they were gathering, it's essentially like a game of musical chairs to see who can sit closest to the host, to see who's most important, maybe for a quick power grab. It was one of those kind of cultural things, but they, they did it. And Jesus tells them this parable in this moment. In verses 8 through 11, it reads, When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited 
If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, hey, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place first, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, why don't you come up here? Move on up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So to kind of summarize the teaching of this parable, Jesus is saying, when invited, immediately surrender your place of honor. Do it and give it to someone else. If you seek the high chair, you're going to be lowered. That's basically what he told them there. I don't know if it was to shame them or what, but to kind of give them this moment of recognizing, hey, this isn't about you. So let's read verse 11 real quick, just one more time. It says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So this is a teaching on humility. And Jesus even goes beyond this in the next few verses, if you read 12 through 14, by saying, invite people who aren't even able to return the favor. Now, that's huge. Uh, Think about it. Maybe you're having to invite somebody who you don't expect them to also take you out and get coffee later. Maybe they do. Maybe they won't. But it doesn't matter to you. You're just wanting to get them coffee, or you're wanting to have them over. You're wanting to pay for their meal, not expecting anything in return. And so he's also saying, when you give a banquet, don't invite those you already have relationships with, but rather invite people who you would never consider inviting over. And this is an important moment here that he's explaining. Think about it. Jesus had many meals with people, and he often had it with people that probably in a weird circumstance, would not get along well together. Jesus often ate sometimes with sinners. It's funny, we're all sinners, but sinners, tax collectors, and Pharisees in like the same room together. Um, They do not get along. And Jesus knows this, but he would invite people that maybe the Pharisees would be, oh, I would never invite that person over. Maybe you and I have people that we would not consider inviting over Think about people that even your family or your friends would be like weirded out by or uncomfortable with you inviting. Maybe it's an awkward past broken relationship you had. Maybe it's um, someone in the community who, um, I don't know, has been seeking food and they've been hungry and you invite them because no one else would. There's something humbling here when you only um, when, when you extend the invite to other people beyond people that you already know and are friends with and have relations with. So when you widen your cir- a circle, it humbles you because you're exalting others who are considered lower and wouldn't be there to be there in seats of honor with you in your circle and family table. But there's a difference between feeling rejected and being rejected. I want to switch a little bit from the humble humility side here to the humiliation side of rejection. So being humble shields us from rejection because this isn't about you. Now, many of you are like me. I've had a moment in time where I wish I had been asked to be a groomsman or a best man to someone's wedding, right? Um, Or maybe I think in one example, I had uh, a friend of mine who I really wanted to be there for my wedding, but he just couldn't because he had a bar exam. 
um, going on along the same time for law school. And I'm like, ugh, I just really wanted him to be there, and it hurt me personally. I took it, I took it so personally, I eventually let go of the, gl- of the grudge. Um, but it was one of those things that I had to work through and say, this doesn't define our relationship, but that feeling of, you know, he's going to miss out, I'm missing out by not having him here, it meant a lot to me. So being humble shields you from rejection because it's not about you. And if it is all about you, guess what? You're going to feel and probably become rejected. Like it becomes your being. Like I feel I've taken this so personally. I've been shunned. I've been rejected. You don't want me here. But when it's not about you, feeling rejected is completely dodged. It's just brushed off the shoulder. It's an easy thing. It's not a big deal. Maybe you've been trying to invite somebody for months and they can't make it or they don't want to. They're just not saying it. I don't know. Whatever the reason is, it's okay. You're breathing easy. You just want to pursue the relationship is all. Um, And if they don't, then they don't. But you're trying. But humility is the lesson here. When you take a humble approach, rejection is avoided. But the church can't be like Christ if we don't humble ourselves. We can't be followers of Christ if we're not following his example of being humble in those situations. And so the goal of this teaching isn't to become exalted, but to be constantly exalting others through humble invitation and prioritizing people who don't know Jesus. And so Jesus continues with another parable. This is kind of the second half crux of the scripture reading that we're going to look into today. So Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. It reads, and this is the parable of the great banquet. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant out to go tell them and remind them, those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. The food is prepared. We're ready to eat. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, a herd of cattle, and I'm on my way to try them out. And please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, "Uh, what you ordered has been done, but there's no room in this house. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. I want to reflect on the first verse of that reading, which is verse 15, because Jesus often, when explaining a parable, gives the main point at the start and explains what that is. So verse 15 is when the statement was given to him, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God, who will eat who will choose to eat, who will actually want to come to the banquet. So this is important. Jesus points out that the host invited everyone and they bailed on him last minute. And sure, feels pretty insulting. Happens. Maybe it was an emergency. I don't know. 
But the thing that I find really neat is Jesus tells the servant to go back out and invite them again and to inform them that the food is ready. A double invitation is what this is called. And it was actually very common in traditional Middle Eastern culture. Um, it's where you invite guests and they decide what animals they're going to butcher in light of the response that was received. Now we kind of do this too. Have you ever thrown a party and you kind of ask, you know, hey, are you allergic to this or what would you like to eat? Um, we, we do this too. Maybe you secretly kind of like ask a family member or a friend and say, what do you think they're going to like? You know, I want to make sure that I have something good for them. So we do this too. And then when it comes time for the actual party, we send the reminders out and we get the final preparations ready. So he did that and they still bailed on him. So they were making excuses not to come to the party. Yet Jesus says, go back out. So here are the three excuses kind of summarized here. We have checking out new property, right? Now, this is a big deal. Maybe they closed on a home. Maybe they got something um, really, really awesome. Maybe it's got a pool. I don't know. But they have a new home, and they have new property, and they want to inspect it or take care of it. Whatever the reason is, I'm not going to go to the Lord's table, but I need to tend to my new property. Second is buying new cattle, right? Uh, this resonates a lot with people I know from my neck of the woods of growing up in the Midwest, uh, where they would get cattle and they would, you know, it's a big deal to bring them in uh, and to get them herded and to see how their conditions are and how they're doing. I mean, it's, it's your livestock. I mean, back then they used it for transportation, for plowing fields, for food, all kinds of things. So, okay, I'm going to go take care of my new cattle, but I'm not going to attend the, the, the Lord at his table. I'm going to reject the invite. And then lastly, we have enjoying a new marriage. Um, well, I get that. I mean, I had my wedding three years ago, and we enjoyed our honeymoon. It was great. Um, but, you know, I got to prioritize my marriage, especially as it's still early. We just got married. It was so much fun. But I'm not going to attend the Lord's table. I think this would be different if it was me inviting others, and, and they told me these excuses. I tend to shrug it off and say, oh, I totally understand. That's me, the people pleaser. But... The thing is, this is the Lord's table. This is the invitation to the kingdom. This is the invitation to like, have a seat of honor next to Jesus. And he's invited you. He's taken, it will take time to be with you in this moment. And the host is setting up a great feast and a great banquet. And he's throwing a huge party and invites all of us to be part of it. But they put these things first and in front of that invite. And I don't know if it's just this cognitive, I believe that I'm going to have eternity, <laughs> like to get to Jesus eventually. You know, it's, we have time on earth. I'm not going to get sick and die. It, I, I don't know. There's not this sense of weight, even if there isn't a sense of urgency, the weight of the invitation from the Lord is here. So the people who should have said yes, said no. So he's not going to give them the seat of honor. Instead, he's going to give someone else that seat. And those other people are who we're going to be listing here in a moment um, are people who are crippled, blind, lame, and impoverished. And so they turned down the greatest invitation to the greatest banquet to God. And I can't imagine turning down his grace. I can't imagine turning down um, the invite to be in the kingdom. But they did. And he wants to fill his house up. I know there was a moment in the text where it said, no, Lord, you don't have enough room. He's like, no, we'll make room. We will fill this up. And his eternal kingdom is 
eternally huge, and he wants to fill it up with people who want to be at the banquet. So why would we refuse the invitation when the choice is ours? So this is where the rubber kind of meets the road. Jesus isn't just calling out people who refuse the invite uh, to the Lord's table, but also for not being humble and for not inviting others who don't know the love of God to it. Maybe, maybe you're invited and you give it to someone else. I don't know. That might be rude for the host, maybe. But for, for the Lord, he wants everybody. And so I've, too, um, have been on a few uh, mission trips um, in, in the past. I've been to Haiti. I've been to China a couple times. But each of those experiences, I learned something that they all share, is that even though I was there loving people, trying to learn, break cultural and language and relational barriers to get to know them, we all did that at the table. All of us, culturally, internationally, we have a circle of people where we come together and we get to know one another and we open up and share our life to each other. And it's in that moment where I was able to make a connection to someone who has the complete opposite life background and uh, circumstances and culture and everything, but we got to connect in those moments. And so this isn't something that a missional method that you just do when you're overseas. This is something that when I flew back, I was sitting in the plane and I recognized this is something that I get to do here right now in this moment to be part of the mission of God and inviting people to journey with through conversation and through community and through a table. This is something that we all get to part of here with your neighbors and with people around you. So the big takeaway I want you to just remember is you and I can live out the mission over a table. And that, yeah, sure, some people are going to reject um, or shelve your invite for a later date, and that's okay. Invite them again later. Keep pursuing. Keep initiating. Widen your circle. The movement of the Christian church from 30 AD all the way to 2020 existed and happened through ordinary people who just came alongside others on their spiritual journey and extending the invite to Jesus. And that's our mission here, right? Inviting people to journey with Jesus. And when we have a meal with someone, be mindful, be prayerful of where they are spiritually rather than just on their current reality or circumstance. Jesus knew this, actually, and as we look at the people that he invited to his table, as we look at the text again, they are spiritually poor, crippled, blind, and lame. So let's look at that for a moment. Spiritually poor, an empty cup ready to be filled with salvation, right? You might be someone who just got new property, and you're physically rich, and you don't think you need Jesus or need God. There's this spiritual fulfillment from, I don't know, getting stuff or having things. I'm just going to put off the Lord's table invite. But here he's saying, hey, someone who's spiritually poor and will accept the invite is seeking out their cup and their life to be filled with my salvation. So the Lord is ready to fill someone who has an empty cup. He's not going to want to fill someone up who's already full. It's, it's not going to fit in. It's going to be overflowed. And so he also invites someone who's spiritually crippled, made powerless by sin, right? This is someone who doesn't feel like, hey, I'm standing tall. I've got strength here. Um, I may be crippled, but I'm not letting sin get me down. Uh, no, like we are weakened by sin, and I need the Lord to help be with me and strengthen me and to correct me and fix me. I'm crippled spiritually. Um, and so the person who's spiritually crippled will be able to attend the Lord and be at the Lord's table. Spiritually blind, being unable to see the truth about Jesus. Maybe, um, I don't know, if you're like me, I feel like 
sometimes life circumstances cloud and fog my vision. Um, the hardships of this year, maybe, even with your own family, maybe it's taken center stage. It's really caused you um, so much concern and so much strife that you're unable to spiritually see the Lord and to see the truth that he wants to give to you and the love and grace that he has for you. Um, and it's not that you've calloused up and that you've guarded your heart from it. It's just everything else has caused you to be blinded to it. And so Jesus is extending the invite to you to say, hey, if you're spiritually blind as well, come to the Lord's table. I want to help you see the truth about me. Spiritually lame, the last one, unable to come to God on our own. This is really huge because I'm not talking about like lame, like lame people, like lame people being like incapable of moving, incapable of walking, paralyzed, people who just cannot stand up on their own two feet. They feel thrashed or weakened or even depressed. Maybe you do in this season. Whatever that is for you, what's causing you to be stagnant and keeping you from extending the invite to others, maybe you need to be attending the Lord's table and to have him spiritually help get you up, to help you stand on your own feet. And so his grace is the foundation for community here because it instantly humbles you to receive the invite. And then it's not about you, but he will help you. And so here's my challenge to you. Who is God asking you to take a risk on? Who are you going to invite? Today, this week, the next month? However you want to navigate it. I know that we're in a wild season, um, but even the invite, even if it's a year out for a wedding, that feeling of being invited matters a lot, and it'll go a long way for them to just say, I want to connect. When would that work for us? They would love that. So if they accept the invite, just here are some things that you might want to think about differently. Maybe you've never thought about before. Think about the meal conversation. You know, it it could just be about Netflix and coffee. I don't know. (laughs) But make it matter, because remember the amount of meals we have in a year? Like, I know there's a lot of meal time, but the time you have with that person might be rare. It might be short. And so think about how they're going to be invited, how they're going to be served. How do your meals express your vision for life? Does your home and the layout of it, I don't know, just are you communicating God's kingdom? Are you giving them a presence of God in some way? Maybe at the end, you just pray together. I don't know, for something. Just listen in, peer in. Be prayerfully mindful of them. But my encouragement to you is that by taking the initiative to invite people to your table, more people will come to know Jesus. A few weeks ago, my wife was gone um, in Texas uh, for like a week, and I had some extra time to myself in the evenings, and so I invited um, a bunch of friends of mine that I haven't seen maybe in years or months not just because of a year with a pandemic, but in general, I haven't connected with some of them in so long. So I kind of cast some lines out and I invited like 15 people, which is max capacity for my condo. Um, But about half of them got back to me and they were able to all come over on the same date. It was a lot of fun. I'm such a youth pastor. I uh, themed it. It it was a samurai night. We had sushi and we watched a violent movie, something my wife would never watch anyway. But we had a lot of fun. It was a guy's night. And uh, we, we had such a great time. And there were moments where I got to see them 
so, like, guys, we don't glow in text. We don't communicate our emotion. We don't know. But when we come together and it's just us, we just tend to. It's real funny. Give, give, give a guy something to eat or drink and he'll talk. It's funny. Um, but I found that the guys were just so open and expressive and they were so thankful to see each other that they haven't each seen in a long time either. Um, I didn't mean for it to be like a reunion or anything like that, but it kind of was. It was a reunified connection of relationship for us, and, and we loved it. And one of them even approached me and said, dude, I'm so glad you put this together because I personality-wise just wouldn't have thought of doing something like this. And I think it was maybe just being blind, not to Jesus, but to the fog of the circumstances in life. It just made being able to get with people so much harder but I encourage you to extend that invite, to try it, to push for the relational connection, even if it's online. I know Zoom is, ugh, I'm not a fan of it, but I get it. You know, finding ways to connect with people and sharing God's love with them, even through an invite, means a lot. So whether it's a wedding or a banquet, you and I can live out the mission through a table. So as I close our message, I would like to pray for each of you and your circumstances. Father God, thank you for blessing us with um, these parables because they do relate. God, I pray that we're able to extend the invite to others and that you will use us to share and grow uh, the love of your kingdom being expressed onto others. God, I pray that you won't uh, have us hold a grudge, but that we can be humble um, and that we can lift and exalt others up in their time of need. God, I pray that you will use us and challenge us in this time for the growth and love and expansion of your kingdom. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.